Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by our news editor, Nick Bostock. Coming up, we're looking at the findings of an independent review of integrated care systems, which was commissioned by the government and led by former Labour Health Secretary Patricia Hewitt. The final report from that review was published this week, and we're looking at what it had to say about primary care and what it could mean for general practice in the future. That's all to come on this episode of Talking General Practice. So, Nick, Patricia Hewitt is a former Labour Health Secretary. She was Health Secretary between 2005 to 2007, so right at the end of Tony Blair's time as Prime Minister. She's currently Chair of Norfolk and Waveney NHS Integrated Care Board and Deputy Chair of its Integrated Care Partnership. What exactly is this review she's undertaken and why did the government commission it? So the context for this review is that the NHS now has yet another new organisational structure in place in the form of integrated care systems and integrated care boards. The review is an attempt to define what it will take to make this latest imagining of the structure of the health service succeed, where some of the predecessor versions involving health authorities, primary care groups, primary care trusts, clinical commissioning groups and so on have fallen by the wayside. So the review's remit was effectively to look at how integrated care systems and integrated care boards, which are regional, there are 42 across England, interact on the one hand with the NHS nationally, so with NHS England and the Department of Health and Social Care, and then on the other hand, how they operate locally through the priorities and targets that they're accountable for, and that includes GP contracts. And the main themes it was asked to consider included looking at how to empower local leaders to improve healthcare in their area, the idea they should have more control, but with more accountability for performance and spending, as well as looking at how feasible it would be to really cut back the number of targets integrated care systems are measured against to just a a handful of really key national and local ones. And the review also aimed to offer some advice on on how the Care Quality Commission, the CQC, could beef up its role in overseeing how systems work to fit with the new approach rather than just focusing on individual organisations. And Patricia Hewitt talks in the report about a long-standing and widely shared view that the NHS needs to focus on prevention, population health, health inequalities and that it needs to move from being managed through a sort of top-down centralised system to one that's bottom-up and more responsive to local need and makes better use of local clinicians' knowledge. And she said that both PCTs, primary care trusts and CCGs were attempts to do exactly that, but she acknowledged that ultimately they were both reorganised and swept away in their turn. So the obvious question is, why should this be any different? And the answer she gives on that is quite interesting, I think. I mean, she says there's an almost unprecedented degree of cross-party support for integrated care systems nationally and locally. Because of that consensus, she thinks there's a really good chance that they can last beyond a single parliament. Because of that, have the time that they need to really start to have an impact. So that's why she's hopeful But the report also sets out a sort of raft of changes that the government and NHS England are going to need to make to give this new system the best possible chance of succeeding. And those recommendations are built around six principles, which is collaboration with organisations working together better nationally, locally, a reduced number of shared targets, more freedom for local leaders, better support for local systems that kind of understands that they have different needs, accountability and better use of data to support all of the above. 
Yeah, I had slight flashbacks then when you started mentioning PCTs, CCGs, PCGs. I mean, we've we've both written about and seen a lot of NHS reorganisations before this one. But as you say, this one is pretty far reaching. You mentioned GP contracts there briefly, but there was actually quite a bit in that review about GP contracts. What did Patricia Hewitt have to say about that and how they could potentially change? The review really comes down hard on the current GP contract. It calls it a significant barrier to innovation locally and says it ought to be replaced with a more flexible alternative that gives integrated care systems more freedom to focus GP services on the priorities of their local area. We know that the five-year GP contract deal that started in 2019 is now entering its final year. So, There's a lot of thinking going on about what comes next, both within government and within the BMA, for example. And if this review is anything to go by, we could be in line for a really major change. Patricia Hewitt says that she thinks radical reform is needed and that this particular moment in time, uh, the end of the five-year contract and the arrival of integrated care systems means that this is the right time for that to happen. The Hewitt Review talks about integrated care boards and primary care networks, PCNs, being constrained by nationally negotiated contracts. So there's a sense here that contracts should be, to a greater degree, negotiated locally. You know, one thought here is that we've been here before. The current GMS contract, which is negotiated nationally, but has mechanisms to allow local commissioning of services, was modelled on the locally negotiated PMS contract. The idea of that contract was that it offered a chance to fit a contract for a GP practice around the specific needs of a local population. And at one point in the mid-noughties, I think maybe two-fifths of practices were on PMS contracts. But the architects of that contract, and I know this because I wrote about it at the time, said that really those locally negotiated deals were probably only appropriate for a far smaller proportion of practices than took them up. And they took them up because they were incentivized to do so. You know, they said it was appropriate possibly for only five or 10% of practices rather than the far bigger proportion. And since that point, England's NHS has been in a process of rolling back coverage of PMS contracts, so cancelling out variation in funding between practices who were on those locally negotiated deals, who, as it turned out, weren't really doing much different from their counterparts on the national contract. You know, maybe there's a cautionary tale there for government ministers looking at a shift to local contracts now, for one thing. And this also must raise questions over postcode lotteries. If more of what GPs do is defined and contracted for locally, how do you make sure that there isn't a huge variation across the country in the services and quality of services that patients receive? The push to get more practices onto local deals was also seen in the past as a deliberate government tactic to undermine the BMA, because a, a huge part of its influence comes from the fact that it negotiates over national changes to the GP contract. Although, of course, in recent years, negotiations have broken down and contracts have been imposed. So that influence maybe has, has waned in that sense. Yeah, that's a, a good background there to what's kind of happened with local contracts. And as you say, it is a bit of a cautionary tale. The review also had some things to say about the quaff and the general direction of travel that Patricia Hewitt feels general practices should take. Well, what does she talk about there? The review says that the quaff, the framework of targets for general practice that's been in place for nearly two decades now, should be remodelled. It says that the quaff was a useful innovation at the time it was introduced, around 2004-05. 
but it's now widely seen as out of date, inflexible and bureaucratic. I think a lot of GPs would agree with that. But at the same time, they might also be worried about what would replace it. The review also calls for incentives for primary care providers to operate at scale. Overall, it looks like the direction of travel could be a more locally flexible contract in which integrated care boards have more freedom to set local targets for general practice and with practices pushed to work more at scale. So continuing the drive for GPs to do more in primary care networks and at that sort of level. On the quaff, we've obviously reported quite a number of times on different people calling for the quaff either to be scrapped or altered significantly. The RCGP has said that it should be scrapped or cut back to a much smaller number of targets. And recently, the, the House of Commons Health and Social Care Select Committee at the time, led by the current Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, said it should be ditched. Meanwhile, in Scotland, the quaff was scrapped in 2018 much to the relief of doctors who were fed up with tick boxes and the the frantic march scramble to update data to make sure that quaff points are achieved. But there's also evidence emerging now that since quaff was scrapped, practices in Scotland have been less likely to carry out tests like blood pressure or diabetic foot checks than their counterparts in England. The quaff was brought in to try to level up care across the country And it added an annoying layer of bureaucracy for practices that were already doing some or all of the work that it incentivised. But it also made sure that a larger proportion of practices nationally did actually do some of the things that were identified as best practice. So any change needs to get the balance right on that, getting rid of bureaucracy on the one hand, but without meaning that certain key bits of work stop. At the same time, the change in checks that we've seen in Scotland... I mean, it might just reflect less intensive recording of data because the quaff has been dropped rather than an actual reduction in checks. And it could also reflect more targeted checks or perhaps even a redirection of resources to important areas of care that may have been squeezed out by the focus on targets that were in quaff previously. Yeah, I mean, it's quite complicated, all of that, really. Like you say, there's potentially quite a lot of reasons why those results have sort of been suggested in, in Scotland There was one thing in the Hewitt review which will have caused quite a lot of alarm amongst people. I mean, there were some specific comments she made about struggling practices. That's what she called them. We know that a lot of practices have been struggling financially. A lot of practices are struggling with work. A lot of practices are struggling with recruitment and all sorts of issues like that. But what did the review say specifically about what would happen when practices were in trouble? The review says that NHS England or the government should set up a central fund to buy out the contracts or premises or both of struggling practices that fail to improve. It says that where practices are not delivering to a high enough standard, they should be supported to improve, but that where necessary, they should be replaced using the buyout fund. As you mentioned, lots of practices have been struggling financially. A survey we did towards the end of last year found that 9 in 10 GPs said their practice had been destabilised financially by the cost of living crisis. And we've also reported that more than 400 GP practices have closed or merged since the COVID pandemic started in, in early 2020. We've also reported on a bundle of cases recently in which private providers have come in to take over practices. When this review talks about struggling practices, it's not actually clear what it means by that. It's not clearly defined. And that's potentially a cause for concern. I mean, the BMA is worried that this could effectively provide another lever to squeeze out small practices, for example, and potentially to replace traditional GP partnerships with large, likely 
private providers. In terms of how you define struggling, I mean, based on CQC ratings, only 0.7% of practices in England are currently inadequate, despite the really low patient satisfaction scores we talked about recently on the podcast from the British Social Attitude Survey. Figures from the National GP Patient Survey last year showed that 72% of respondents still rate their overall experience of their GP practice as good. So a lot of practices are still performing to a high level despite all the pressure that they're under. On things like booking appointments, scores are lower. And given the focus on access at the moment, particularly in the changes for the, the contract for the year ahead, I mean, is there a risk that practices could be pressured to accept a buyout simply because they're struggling to meet access targets, for example? And that's something that could affect huge swathes of GP practices at a time when the GP workforce is in decline, demand for appointments is is bigger than ever. It sounds really worrying, doesn't it? That It's not really clear what she means there. It sounds like it could be quite widely open to interpretation. Did she have anything to say about the partnership model? I mean, we know the partnership model has been under scrutiny in the last couple of years. We had former Health Secretary Sajid Javid back a report that called for the partnership model to be phased out over a decade. And the Labour Party earlier this year has also suggested that it might favour phasing out the partnership model as well. So what did Patricia Hewitt have to say about partnerships? The GP partnership model isn't a central focus of the review, but there are some potential clues in there about the future of partnerships. The partnership model has come in for a lot of criticism from across the political spectrum recently. Sajid Javid said it should be scrapped within a decade while he was health secretary. And more recently, the Labour shadow health secretary, Wes Streeting, called partnerships murky and said he was minded to phase out the GP partner model completely. So, you know, GPs have pushed back against that and they point out that without partners going the extra mile to keep general practice going, it probably would have collapsed years ago. But the the mood among politicians suggests that after the current five-year contract, whichever political parties in government, there will be strong pressure to move away from partnerships, potentially. And this review, I think, acknowledges that the government's already leaning that way, and it suggests that partnerships should remain, but perhaps as one of a menu of options rather than the default method of delivery for general practice. It says the the new framework for GP contracts should enable systems to find the right solutions to fit their circumstances, including building on the partnership model rather than sweeping it away entirely. And that, to me, seems like a clear suggestion that if systems don't think partnerships are the right model for them, Patricia Hewitt's view is that they should have the ability to get rid of them. Maybe it's only a matter of time until the Sajid Javid vision of a salaried GP workforce employed by hospital trusts becomes reality, whoever the next government is. Some of this all sounds really, really radical, um, but it is important to to stress that these are just recommendations at the minute. And this is a review that will be used to inform any decisions that are made about the best way forward in the future. This is actually one report of a number of reports and reviews that we've seen in recent months about what to do with integrated care systems since they came into being. And it's perhaps worth looking at one of the other ones, which is most relevant to general practice that people probably will have remembered and heard of, which is a fuller stock take and, and how they both fit together. So the fuller stock take effectively reviewed the state of primary care across England and made recommendations to integrated care systems on how to accelerate integration and the role of primary care and general practices within that. And that report came out just as ICSs sort of came into being last July. Now, Patricia Hewitt, um, in her review, she says that she's trying to build on the work of that stock take. And just to remind people, Claire Fuller, who did the stock take, she's a GP 
and Chief Executive of Surrey Heartland's Integrated Care System. And that stock takes out this vision of integrated neighbourhood working where teams from across primary care networks, secondary care, social care all work together. So that stock takes very much about primary care, while the Hewitt Review is kind of looking at ICSs in the round. Patricia Hewitt points out in the review that the Fuller stock take had no remit to talk about changes needed in primary care contracting, which we spent quite a lot of time talking about here, Nick. But Hewitt is quite clear that she feels it's absolutely crucial to overhaul the way contracts work if ICSs are going to succeed in improving outcomes. I think one little thing that might be worth mentioning is that Fuller's stock take, that talked about primary care funding not necessarily matching population needs. So that's about, I think, the GP funding formula not necessarily reflecting things like deprivation, for example. I mean, she talked about a way to address this was about integrated care systems reviewing sort of local discretionary funding they have for general practice to make sure it's targeted to places with the greatest need. But Hewitt's ideas about completely overhauling contracts and giving ICS more local control of them, which obviously means more local control of where funding is allocated, that clearly goes a, a big step further than what Fuller was suggesting. The other thing worth mentioning about both these reports was a couple of really big common themes across both of them. Both the review and the stock take place a really big emphasis on the importance of data and more effective use of data to drive planning and decisions and resource allocation. From GPs' perspectives, I think what they're talking about there is giving practices and primary care networks the information they need to help target things like prevention efforts as well as work on tackling health inequalities. But both the reports also discuss the importance of sharing data across an ICS and that improvements in health outcomes can't really happen without that sort of information sharing becoming commonplace and without the systems that enable it to happen in a way that's easy for healthcare professionals to use. Both Hewitt and Fuller also highlighted the, how important it is to get more people with strong data skills into integrated care systems and also some of the barriers to doing that, not least the sort of salaries that are available in the NHS compared with what's on offer in the private sector. So that's a, a real problem. And then the other key thing I think it's worth mentioning is that both of them do mention the importance of infrastructure and buildings. And we know that GPs and their teams really struggle with too small and often outdated premises I think a really interesting point from the Hewitt review that's worth mentioning is that she's calling for a cross-government review of the entire NHS capital regime, potentially looking at ways to change capital funding. So this is investment in infrastructure, big one-off chunks of money that invest in infrastructure, looking at changing that so it enables local authorities and NHS to make better use of the space they have available. She also talks about giving greater freedom to integrated care systems to decide how to spend these large sums of money. And that would be a really big change. And clearly, general practice would be hoping that if something like that does happen, ICSs would then recognise the importance of upgrading and improving GP premises as, as part of it. So that's all quite interesting context of how the report fits in with other things that have come before it. But Nick, what have GPs had to say about some of these proposals we've talked about? I mean, has there been a positive reaction or are people a bit more wary of it? The reaction from the the BMA, I'd say, was cautiously optimistic about some elements of the proposals. So particularly things like the idea of getting away from top-down targets, plans for the increased focus on prevention, and the idea of supporting practices that are struggling, possibly right up to the bit where they replace them with a buyout fund. The BMA is also absolutely on the same page in terms of feeling that the current GP contract needs a major overhaul. 
the BMA's view is that a revamped contract should support practices to look after patients in a way that recognises changing demographics, increased demand, plummeting workforce numbers and rising costs. And all that would mean more investment. And that's precisely the factor that led to the breakdown in talks over the final year of the five-year contract, and which has now led to a point where GP industrial action seems likely. So that's a, you know, it's a point where they're definitely far apart. The BMA is also really concerned about the idea of the buyout fund for struggling practices. It says it's not clear how they've been identified, as we mentioned before. And it said smaller practices could end up being strong-armed into selling out to large private providers as part of the drive to deliver more care at scale. And it warned that that would obviously undermine continuity of care, potentially. I mean, continuity of care relationships that practices have built up over a number of years. A GP I spoke to from the GP Survival Group said that he was worried that the buyout fund would just be drawn from existing GP funding. So it could end up with private companies being paid over the odds to take over practices and ultimately strip funding out of the money available for general practice as a whole, which would be a, a concern at a time when, you know, there's a sense that there isn't enough money in the pot anyway. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've been talking quite specifically about the recommendations relating to general practice from this report, but obviously it was looking more widely at the whole idea of integrated care systems and how to use them to improve outcomes and deliver better care for patients. I think you mentioned at the start, Nick, one of the big things is Patricia Hewitt's not just calling for the quaff to be scrapped. She's basically proposing that almost all targets are scrapped to give ICSs more control over what they do and the services they develop. And as you mentioned, one of the key themes in the report is how to balance giving ICSs that freedom to innovate and devise local solutions, but also having accountability to the centre. And, and Hewitt's sort of suggesting that, that the government and NHS England should limit themselves to no more than 10 targets or priorities for ICSs uh, and basically support integrated care systems to become what she says are self-improving systems. There's a really interesting line in there where she talks about successful ICSs being encouraged to go even further and NHS England effectively developing a new model for those specific ICSs that allow them even greater autonomy. I mean, it's a bit reminiscent of when foundation trusts were introduced and suddenly they had loads more freedom than, than your average trust. You also mentioned prevention. I think it's really important to mention this as well. The other thing she's calling on is for a huge shift in resources towards prevention. She says that the total share of ICS budgets going towards prevention should be increased by at least 1% over the next five years. She also says that the government should establish a new health, wellbeing and care assembly that would effectively work across relevant government departments. She points out that ICSs are a real opportunity to start to shift the NHS away from becoming that term a national illness service to actually a national health service through a greater focus on prevention, population health management and addressing health inequalities. We've been talking for decades about the need to make that change and Patricia Hewitt says this is the opportunity to actually do it providing that ICSs are given the tools and freedoms to be able to make that shift. And I think these are obviously really laudable aims, and I think they will chime with what GPs would like to see happen, particularly around cutting bureaucracy and box-ticking targets. But you do have to be a little bit sceptical about whether the government would actually go for that sort of approach. What we've seen with the GP contract in particular in recent years is perhaps more bureaucracy being added to the way practices work, not less all these new access requirements that have come into the contract this year, any additional funding that's come into general practice over the past few years now also seems to come in lots of little pots with lots of hoops to jump through and strings attached to access it. And that only adds more work and pressure and bureaucracy onto practices. 
So the government's track record on, on that isn't great, which I think is a worry. So, Nick, do we know what's going to happen next with all of this? You know, this is all just recommendations. What's going to be done with them all? In terms of how this moves forward, the review talks about setting up a kind of panel to draw up a new framework for GP primary care contracts. And that could be a menu of contract options, but also it would effectively be a new vision for how the profession fits into an integrated care system based NHS. Worryingly for GPs and the BMA, it suggests GPs' main representatives may not have a key role in shaping that new vision. Because the review talks about a panel including innovative and successful GP partners, leaders from ICBs and local government and patient representatives. And it suggests that the BMA and RCGP could then be consulted on the vision that they come up with. The BMA response has been that it, as well as LMCs and GPs in local areas, should very much be involved throughout rather than consulted as a sort of afterthought in any process of trying to rethink fundamentally how GPs operate and the the contract that they work under. I think a big part of what will shape how this works out too will be the state of the relationship between the BMA and the government. We could see GP industrial action later this year, uh, maybe this summer. And it's hard to imagine a scenario in which the BMA's organising moves that could involve 24-hour practice closures on the one hand, and at the same time, talking to the government about the future of the GP contract as if none of that was going on. A change of government might change the nature of the discussion to an extent, but if Patricia Hewitt's right about a political consensus about the NHS... Um, it might not make much difference. And of course, the next general election isn't likely to come until 2024. And the, the nightmare scenario for GPs is that if relations with the government don't improve, they could find not just relatively minor changes within the framework of a five-year contract being imposed, as happened in the last couple of years, but maybe a, a whole new look for general practice being imposed on them. Obviously, at this stage, these are just recommendations and the government has yet to comment officially on the recommendations from the Hewitt Review. But this is likely to be a flavour of what's to come. And if anything like these recommendations does go ahead, it will represent significant changes for general practice. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening and thanks to Nick. I'm back next week where I'm talking to Jake Beach from Health Foundation about a recent survey that looked at what it's like to be a GP in the UK compared with several other countries around the world. Please do join me then. In the meantime, don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest news affecting primary care on our website at gponline.com. 